Hello and welcome back to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Tina Quinn and as always it's a pleasure to have your company. Freelance journalists are a crucial part of the media industry. We're seeing many journalists work as freelancers, some proactively and others in response to the casualisation of media work. In fact, in 2022's Australian Media Landscape report by Medianet, it found that many journalists stated that they either freelance on top of their regular employment for additional income or are considering doing this in the coming year. There are benefits to creating independently and flexibly. However, freelance work is often insecure and has less protection. The Media and Entertainment Arts Alliance found over 60% of freelancers earn less than half the average weekly Australian wage. So how has freelancing changed and what can the fourth estate do to support them? To discuss this and more, we're joined by Catherine Boris. She's a freelance journalist and editor. Her work has appeared in the Saturday paper, in Junkie, the Sydney Morning Herald and Pedestrian TV. That's just to name a few. Catherine also created the Young Australian Writers Facebook group, a space for young writers to network, gain advice and learn about the industry. Catherine, a warm welcome to Fourth Estate. Thanks so much for having me. And Bianca Nogrady is also with us. She's a freelance science journalist, broadcaster and author. Her work has appeared in outlets like The Atlantic, The Scientist, Australian Geographic and the BBC. She's also the founding president of the Science Journalists Association of Australia. Bianca, welcome to Fourth Estate. Great to be here. Thank you. So I'm going to jump right in. What do you both enjoy about freelance journalism and what attracted you to becoming a freelancer in the first place? Uh, Cathy, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, Well, what I enjoy, I guess, is the flexibility. Um, So prior to the pandemic, freelance journalism was one of the only ways to do journalism while also like working from home or traveling, like being a digital nomad, for example, and uh, also for working in and around like other jobs or uh, full-time study, which was what I was doing in my case. Bianca, what about yourself? I love the flexibility and the variety of freelancing. So particularly being a science and health journalist, there's not really a lot of outlets in Australia that well, certainly not enough to sustain uh, write for outlets around the world. Um, I get to write about a huge diversity of subjects and, and for a range of different editors and audiences. I like that I've been able to work from home, um, work around having two kids. Yeah, that, that's, that independence uh, is, is really good for me. Cathy, can you tell us about the Young Australian Writers Facebook group? What, what motivated you to create the group and, and what sort of resources are available through it? Yeah, so um, I created the group in 2016 after writing an article about coming of age online in a particular era where uh, first-person essays were particularly encouraged, especially from younger writers who maybe didn't have heaps of experience. So basically how I saw it was editors were being pressured to find like very unique, it-happened-to-me type stories. Right. And this would result in relatively young and definitely inexperienced writers um, you know, bearing their souls for all of like 50 American dollars type things. And so um, I wrote it for an outlet, uh, which is defunct now, but it was at Fairfax called The Vocal. And their whole thing was basically encouraging people 
to look for ways to implement change. And so my editor was like, well, like, how can you as an individual, like, kind of address this issue of young writers being exploited? And I was like, well, I could make, like, an online community. And so I did. And now six years later, it has eight and a half thousand members. And, yeah, so it's definitely grown over the years. Yeah. And um, resources, well, um, like, anyone can post and ask for advice. And there's just a really good, like, brains trust going on in there. Um, there's also like a jobs uh, thread where everyone can share jobs. Um, like basically the group itself kind of serves as a bulletin board for people to share opportunities or pass along opportunities that they've been approached with but can't uh, take up. It really provides an amazing space for, for aspiring uh, writers and, and journalists. Um, through that Facebook group uh, or that Facebook page, you, you created a space for freelance writers to be able to connect. And Bianca, you do a lot of networking with freelancers and science journalists. Um, why do you think it's important for, for freelance journalists to have a community network? Uh, Bianca, I'll, I'll go to you. It's so important. And um, the Science Journalists Association of Australia, even though obviously we have um, a mix of in-house and freelancers, um, a lot of the, the interaction... Well, well, actually, I should say, even people who are working in-house as science journalists are often um, one of the few, if not the only, science journalists working within their organisation, within their newsroom. And so, um, you know, if they want to have a big nerd out about some weird kind of biological phenomenon, then, you know, we like to think that we provide the forum for where they're going to be um, surrounded by like-minded nerds and we can all kind of nerd out about it together. But I think especially for freelancers, we don't have that supportive network, I'm assuming that newsrooms are supportive. I've never worked in one, so that may be a dangerous assumption. But, you know, <laughs> having that supportive network of people to encourage you to, um, you know, to help you make your work better, to bounce ideas off, you know, to share tips with, um, you know, that's that's really important for journalists generally, I think, to have that. And then right. particularly with freelancers, we're all dealing with these a whole set of other challenges around word rates around dealing with editors and pay and accounts departments at different publications and, you know, even just something like dealing with, well, how, you know, what's a W8BEN form that I've just been asked to fill out by this US publication and, you know, and so it's like you post in the group and go, does anyone know what the hell this is? And, and it's that, I mean, I think it's a fantastic um, environment. It's certainly the most um, collegial um, kind of professional environment I've ever encountered, even having worked within a publication, um, a medical publication. And, you know, freelancers, we've, we do talk. And this, <laughs> I think it's something that editors sometimes forget is that freelancers talk and we network and we share information. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that really makes us stronger individually. Earlier this year, the MEAA developed a charter of rights for freelance journalists, which it's going to be used to pursue collective agreements with media outlets that outline minimum rates of pay and, and deadlines for payment. Bianca, can you tell us about that charter? Yeah, so um, I, I have to say up front that I uh, I haven't been involved with the development of this and, and I think there's been some phenomenal work by people at the MEAA, um, for example, Fran Malloy, Marissa um, Wickramanayake, um, and I'm probably thinking of there's a whole pot of other people who I can't remember their names, but um, who've really put years and years and years of work into trying to um, actually bolster the rights of freelancers, bolster the recognition amongst um, editors and publishers 
that freelancers are um, are important. Uh, we are worthy of respect. We deserve respect, and we deserve to be treated the same as in-house staff. Um, and not only that, also recognizing that freelancers aren't just journalists who aren't in the office. We are also running our own businesses. Um, we're dealing with all the sort of things that you know, and publishers' accounts department takes care of, or in-house legal teams, or whatever. So. It's about acknowledging freelancers. And, I mean, the collective bargaining aspect has always been problematic because we're all viewed as, as uh, sole traders. And so there are, I think, um, laws in Australia that actually make it very difficult for freelancers to bargain collectively. And so this charter, I think, really overcomes those by um, really setting out what freelancers uh, expect from, from editors and publishers. Uh, and, you know, it's not a lot. It's really just we would like to be paid kind of decent rates. We would like to be paid um, shortly after publication, if not on, you know, preferably even on acceptance of copy. We would like to be paid within a certain time frame after that. Um, we'd like to be paid on time. This is a really big one. Um, you know, we, we would like to not be, be forced into contracts that require us as these individual sole traders to indemnify a giant publishing company against, you know, any kind of legal action that might stem from a, an article that we actually have no control over after we submit it. Um, you know, look, there's a, there's a huge number of, um, I guess, challenges that freelancers face, which I suspect most editors and publishers don't realise are even an issue. I mean, I, I've chased a payment for six months, $150 payment for six months, um, just simply because people just kept forgetting to put the invoice in and they kept doing, you know. And I think, you know, if you're a publisher, if one of your advertisers doesn't pay up, you go after them. You don't just let money slide. And as freelancers, we're individuals. We've got, we've got um, you know, there's no buffer zone here. There's no big bank account that we can kind of insulate ourselves against a late payment. Um, we still have to pay bills on time as well. So all of those considerations need to be kept in mind. And, and I think really what this charter does is spell those out for editors and publishers. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, we, we just want equal recognition. We, we just, we don't want to be treated as kind of this outsourcing afterthought that we are actually, uh, we are actually a pillar of Australian journalism and we need to be acknowledged as such. There's often a lot of questions among freelancers about freelance rates and, and payments, as you've just referenced. What's your advice to other freelancers about getting paid fairly and, and knowing what, a, what is a fair payment? That's a really tricky one to answer. Um, I would say as a general rule, Australian word rates are pretty appalling compared to international. Um, uh, you know, it's often one of the first questions I get asked when I've run um, kind of workshops and freelancing. People say, what should I charge? And my answer is generally whatever the editor is going to pay you. Um, but because, you know, it's pretty rare in some ways to be able to negotiate up front. Not rare, not impossible. But there's no bargaining power, basically. There's not a lot of bargaining power, particularly when you're starting out with a publication. And I also say this as somebody who's terrible at asking for more money, but uh, leaving that aside, um, you know, I think it's, you know, the, the freelance charter, I believe um, it doesn't specify a minimum rate, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's hard to put a figure on. I'd be interested to know what Cathy thinks. But to my mind, you know, if in Australian rates... If you're earning less than 70 cents a word for, you know, a, a piece that's you know, professionally written, that's not something that, you know, kind of an AI could knock out, then I think you're, you're being underpaid. I mean, we, we deliver a service. It's a professional service. We bring to that experience and skill um, and 
discipline and uh, you know to that that should not be devalued and in, in the same way that anybody working in house is subject to um, to kind of wage negotiations and um, I can't think of what the term is but you know contracts that set minimum wage so we deserve the same. Kathy, uh, what's your take on on that? I mean, how do you do? You have any good advice for other freelancers about getting paid fairly and and securing a fair payment? And when it, you know, as Bianca's just referenced, when it comes to bargaining power, do you feel like, you know, it, the ball's not exactly in your court? Yeah, I do feel like freelancers are at a disadvantage because it's very difficult to kind of act collectively. Although the union is doing this um, for freelancers, especially with regards to the Guardian, for example. Um, but my for practical advice, I would say sniff around, um, try and find out like what other people have been paid by that outlet so you can gauge whether they're like trying to maybe take you for a ride or not. I mean, I think most editors are operating in good faith, but sometimes there are external pressures um, that put them in a tough spot. But to make yeah, the so demands say, of the business model, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so I'd say like the MIA collects uh, rates so that information is all on their website. Um, you can also like use Twitter or just like talk to people. Um, you can also join my group. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say try and find out what other people have been paid by that outlet. And also, I mean, just be upfront with the editor, like how much, what can you pay? You're listening to Fourth Estate on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're talking about freelance journalism with Bianca O'Grady and Catherine Boris. When it comes to strengthening the mindset as a freelancer, uh, that you're you're basically running your own business. You know, you're you are your own business. You're your own boss. <laughs> I guess your own um, accountant. I guess you're not your own. Um, you're not exactly payroll. But how do you sort of strengthen that mindset and, and take that sort of ownership, Bianca? I'll go to you. Ah, that's an interesting one. It's um, my experience is it's kind of fairly straightforward once you get those systems in place. Uh, You know, you just, to start with, there's all of these kind of fundamental things you do. uh, Maybe you get a good accountant or you at least learn how to use an accounting, good, decent accounting software, Um, understand the tax system and make sure that you're not going to do anything that's going to land you uh, in court. Um, You know, that side of things, I think once you sort of get the the principles established and it, it, I wouldn't say it takes care of itself, and I'm conscious of the fact that the end of financial year has just rolled by and that I probably have a hell of a lot of paperwork to manage, but um, it's not too arduous. For running your own business, it's not too arduous. I think the the sort of running your own business disadvantages are around things like um, lack of sick leave, lack of holiday pay, lack of superannuation being covered, um, you know, lack of, there's no severance pay, there's... um, you know, the insurance issue is a massive one, that kind of indemnity insurance. So it's more things like that, that if you're working in-house at a publisher, those are taken care of. Um, you know, you know that you're going to get a certain amount of holiday each year and you're going to get paid during that time to take that holiday. Um, you you know, you know that if you're sick, you can take time off and you're not going to lose you. Well, maybe you will lose your job. I guess these are a little unstable at the moment. So it's those kind of things that I think are for me certainly the biggest challenge with freelancing is that there's there's no safety net here if i get sick and if i get really sick and i can't work then i there's no money there's nothing that comes in mm-hmm. um and um you know similarly taking holidays off is really really hard <laughs> 
So it's those disadvantages, I think, um, that are most evident. But I have to say they are more than outweighed by the advantages and the perks of being a freelancer. Do you agree with that, Kathy? Yeah, I'd say um, having to be your own boss, kind of um, like an island unto yourself, can make things difficult, which is why I appreciate spaces like my group and organisations like me for trying to do more to like help freelancers work collectively but even then you still have to deal with everything Bianca described on your own Mm -hmm. Um, my biggest issue is knowing when to switch off Um, so especially if you're working with American publications like I've had to have having a few phone calls like 11 30 p.m my time because it's 9 30 a.m in New York Mm -hmm. and it's the only time that there's like really any crossover that works for both of us Um, that sort of thing like doing work on weekends when I probably shouldn't be, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Oh, I'm triggered. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can relate to that, I'm sure, Bianca. How has freelance journalism, do you think, changed over the last five years? Have we seen an increase or, or decline in freelancers? And, and do you think many journos are, are purposely choosing freelancing uh, or joining as a response to precarious employment? Um, so again, a, a tricky one to say. My, my gut feeling is, I, I mean, I certainly do see an increase in freelance um, writers and freelance journalists in the science and health space. And I think that's um, partly a response to just lack of outlets in Australia, which mean that there's basically very, very few in-house jobs um, and those that do exist are are highly sought after. Um, So if you want to be a science and health journalist in Australia, for the most part, freelancing is actually your best option at this point in time. And, and also having said that, I think it's a really good option. Um, you know, it's a really great niche to freelance in because there are so many specialist publications around the world and um, it's just well, it's just a great niche. I, I feel like I've kind of um, certainly steered more than a few people in the direction of freelancing and so far nobody's come back at me with a baseball bat, so I take <laughs> that to be a positive sign. Um, but in terms of sort of mainstream, I mean, we've seen so many redundancies in newsrooms and which is just such a sad loss of, you know, journalism talent in Australia. And I I think, I mean, a lot of those people I think have gone and pursued different careers. Maybe they've gone into comms or, um, you know, academia or, or, I mean, who knows, any number of professions. Uh, And I I suspect that this is probably a, a global issue. I mean, we have seen so many closures of, uh, you know, small local newspapers, newsrooms, um, regional publications that uh, I, I I mean, yeah, there's also perhaps less demand um, from publishers at least for content. But then we also have the rise of, of online publishing. Kathy, do you think media editors have a role in supporting freelancers? Or, and what role is it? Yeah, I think I think they do, and I think a lot of them do a great job. Um, in my experience talking to friends who are editors, I think a lot of them are put in difficult positions, um, like budget constraints and all that. Yeah, I think they do have a responsibility to do the best by their freelancers, like try and ensure the rates aren't completely depressing. You know, ideally I'd like to say like they have a responsibility to you know get back to everyone, but that's not always feasible. But, you know, like if they can... Um, respond like briefly you know with just a polite rejection that sort of thing so people aren't left hanging and they can quickly shop the piece around especially if it's a news piece that sort of thing. Can I jump in as well Mm. there's something else I feel that um, it's with freelancers because we're being paid by the word we're not being paid well most of the time we're being paid by the word not by 
the amount of time that we put into a, mm-hmm. a thing. And so, you know, I've had situations where it's sort of a 300-word news story and I've ended up doing 10 interviews for it and, um, uh, you know, and, and it's a huge amount of work because the editor keeps saying, oh, can you check this out? Can you check this out? Can you check mm-hmm. this out? And, you know, I think there maybe does need to be a little bit of understanding. Like it doesn't happen often, but a little bit of understanding that perhaps the dynamic, um, the way that freelancers work is a bit different or not mm-hmm. different, but... It's sort of that idea that those really high effort, low word rate, low return pieces, you know, it, ideally those should be <laughs> be done in-house and I'm sure the in-house journals are going, no, God, please, we don't want them either. <laughs> um, but that that's very difficult to, to really kind of make money on in the sense that the amount of effort that goes into a story like that is disproportionately high relative to the amount of payment. And I think this, this also comes down to experience as a freelancer and being able to kind of look at a brief and go, you know what, I can't, I can't do that for the amount of money that you want to pay me. It just is not viable um, when I know that I could work for that same amount of time and make three times as much. Um, so it's sort of that idea that we are also an independent business. Um, and so, you know, we, we do have to um, make a profit. That sounds very um, kind of hard-hearted capitalist, but we do, we are, we do have to make a profit. So I think there's also it needs to be maybe a little bit of more understanding of what it means. And this comes back to that idea of understanding that we are also running a business. Do you have any advice for how freelance journalism can become more financially sustainable here in Australia? Bianca? <laughs> Pay us better. That'd be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I think it's it really just comes down to um, better better pay conditions, but also uh, not just pay but also conditions as well um you know we we hear stories about freelancers who are um who are kind of commissioned to do stories but then you know they're they're not treated with respect by editors their work isn't treated with respect by editors um you know everything gets changed and rewritten with no consultation and I know that that happens in-house as well but we're not in the office we don't have the opportunity to go and you know look at the pages or see things as they kind of float past we, we're not there on, on the spot to be able to make sure that, um, you know, our work is is good, is still is not kind of um, being altered uh, to introduce errors, for example. So I think we, we do really need editors to, um, to perhaps work with us a little bit more and, and kind of keep those lines of communication perhaps open a little bit more than they might do. Um, you know, we're not just sitting in the desk next door and I, I recognize that obviously everybody's been working for home for the last two and a half years but uh, you know I think that would be really useful to to just have that understanding and uh, you know and then the other issue which I keep banging on about is is just is payment times is you know they can be really really long you know when you do a story that for a publication's got a lead time of four months and then they pay you two months after it goes to print you know that's six months before you see a cent um, and so, you know, something like, for example, in, in, the, in New York, there's the Freelance Isn't Free Act where uh, I think any kind of freelance work has to be paid within 30 days of acceptance of work. And something, it's so simple and it's so small, but gosh, it would make a world of difference when you know you've got, you know, I've, I've had situations where I've had $25,000 in invoices out there in the world waiting to come in and the credit cards are maxed out and all of these bills are coming in and you know it is going to come in. But you also know it's just, you know, working its way through the bowels of the accounting department 
and you've got no way of, of, of speeding that process up. So, yeah, I mean, it's that, that would be really great if there could be an understanding that freelancers, uh, well, I guess like any small businesses, contractors really do um, need to be paid promptly and, and as quickly as possible. Kathy, what about yourself? Are there any sort of challenges uh, specific to freelance journalists um, that they're facing that you'd like to see more attention and advocacy towards? Um, so I definitely second payment times. I've heard of publications in Australia that take several months from date of publication to pay, and that just isn't acceptable. I think 30 days is kind of a max before you're just mm. kind of being unfair and not respecting the person's time and work. I think things like the Freelancers and Free Act are really good. I think what Mia does is good, but the way the union approaches things just because it's how they've always done it is they approach things on an outlet-by-outlet outlet basis, and I guess that's the most practical way they've found to affect change. But things like the Freelancers and Free Act in New York and California, like they're from the top down, so they apply to everyone. I think changes like that would be really good because some outlets are just quite resistant to, resistant to union involvement. What's some practical advice that each of you would give to other freelance journos? Bianca, to you first. Um, well, at first I'd say do it, like just um, do it and aim high. You know, if you've got a, a great story and you think, you know what, I'd really love to be published in the New York Times or the Monthly or, you know, the Griffith Review or the Atlantic, like just do it, shoot for the moon because you, you never know. Um, and certainly I, I often find that uh, I think maybe freelancers, or I'm going to say particularly you know, women freelancers probably underestimate themselves and their ideas. And um, so I kind of always like to sort of encourage people to to actually, no, just seize the day. And and because this is, this is the wonderful thing about being a freelancer is that you can pitch the New York Times, you can pitch these incredible outlets and it might just be your day. Uh, and then, you know, seeing your name with a byline in, in a publication like that is just the best feeling ever. And I think, I guess um, the other thing that I, uh, which probably goes a little bit towards what you were asking earlier, is to just say, yeah, freelance journalists, first and foremost, are journalists. And it's it's interesting because a lot of the surveys put freelance journalists in a different category to journalists. It's like they have journalists and then they have freelance journalists. It's like, no, we're journalists. We're just not based in-house. You know, first and foremost, we are journalists and we want to do journalism. We want to do good journalism. We want to do interesting journalism. And, you know, certainly um, happily in the science and health arena, there's so many opportunities to do that. And that's one of the reasons why I love this and I have been doing it for nearly 20 years and I suspect I will still be doing it on my deathbed. <laughs> um, but, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it is a really great career path. It's tough and I also must acknowledge that, you know, I, um, you know, I have a set of privileges that mean that I have been able to, you know, make my way in this. I've had safety nets, um, and I, I kind of recognise that it's, it can be really difficult if you don't have those safety nets and you don't have those privileges. And I, I would love to see that change. I would love to see there be more support for freelancers from people of colour, from uh, refugee backgrounds, from you know, marginalised backgrounds, disadvantaged backgrounds. I, I would love there to be more support that mean that we can actually have a more diverse freelance journalist population in Australia. Um, and, 
yeah, I, I do hope that that will happen. And, for example, the Science Journalists Association of Australia, we run a grants program, and so we've been able to give out um, $9,000 worth of grants this year for reporting and professional development. And, you know, I think programs like that really, I hope, help to, you know, give more freelance journalists just that little leg up that so many of us need, particularly at the start of our careers. Kathy, I'm probably biased, but I think my best piece of advice would be to find a community, whether it's Young Australian Writers or uh, the Science Writers Association or um, in America they've got Study Hall or if it's a union, just find a community, like even on Twitter, find other writers who you can commiserate with, who you can liaise with, who you can find opportunities with, who you can ask, like, is this editor okay with? Yeah, I'd say that absolutely helps because otherwise freelancing can be feel at least quite isolating at times and it doesn't need to be it doesn't have to be I don't think it should be so yeah find a community find other people in your position and make friends well on that note I'd like to thank both of my guests today on fourth estate Bianca O'Grady thank you so much it's been lovely to be here and Catherine Boris thanks so much And thank you for listening to Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A big thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, of course, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is 4th Estate AU. A big thanks to my producer, Marlene Even, and executive producer, Anthony Dockerell. I'm Tina Quinn. Please do stay well, stay safe, and catch us next week on 4th Estate.